0: Well, I love our theme passage um, for this month, and it's been such a great month as a church to celebrate Christmas. Um, last Sunday night was so special. Over 500 people showed up for our outdoor nativity scene, live nativity scene, time of incredible worship. There, there's so many people to thank, Al Crosby and Candy who provided the nativity scene, Allison and Andrews who provided the animals. All of our children and people up here on stage who provided incredible music and worship. I especially think of Hunter and Amber Traw, who played Mary and Joseph. And their little bitty baby Seth who played Jesus. Now I do worry about Seth. What do you do after you've played Jesus at the beginning of your life? I mean it just seems to me it's almost all downhill after that. But we just thank everybody who made that The blue flames provided refreshments. It was just a great, great night. So so Merry Christmas. So glad that you're here today. I'm going to show you a picture. When I show you the picture, I want you, I want to see who's the fastest to guess who this is. Show me the picture. Man, you guys were slower than first service. Travis Tritt, all right? Now, I know that's a little bit of a young picture. He's had a lot of age on him in Botox since then, all right? But, but that is Travis Tritt. You say, buddy, why are you showing Travis Tritt on the Sunday before Christmas? Because he's got an amazing story about how God uses Christmas music. Uh, Tritt tells about early in his career that he played a lot of sort of low-level bars. And, and most of the people in those bars were, were, were drunk. And so it was just not unusual at all for a fight to break up and chairs to be thrown. He said, even as the artist on stage... You could get hurt. And so he writes this about that. Just when the fight started getting out of hand, when bikers were ready to throw their pool sticks and rednecks were heading for their gun racks, I would start playing and singing Silent Night. It could be in the middle of July. I didn't care. It worked. Sometimes they'd even stop And cry in the middle of those Christmas carols. While I was sweating in July playing them. I love that story. Because Travis Tritt, if he can bring peace to a bunch of drunkards with a Christmas carol. I believe God can bring peace to you and I this morning. As we focus on the angels first Christmas carol. Here are the simple words. Luke chapter 2 verse 14. Glory to God in the highest And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. You see, what God came to give us was absolute peace. That's our theme this morning. Of all the different themes of Christmas, I find peace to be absolutely the most elusive in my life. It seems for a few days I can grab it, I'm at peace. I don't mind being all by myself and those crazy thoughts aren't going through your mind. But for many of us, peace is very elusive. Now, I think peace may be elusive because we have the wrong definition, and often we have the wrong expectation. You see, if I asked someone on the street, what is peace, their answer would be the absence of conflict. We say there's peace on the earth, hardly ever get to say this, when there's no war. And and so I, I think that's a bad definition. And here's my expectation to do with that definition. I will finally have peace when everything around me lines up the way I want it. You know, when when everybody's liking me and my family's together and church is doing good and I'm doing good and work's going good. I mean, then we'll have peace. The problem is those things never happen. So I want to serve this quotation as a good definition of what peace is. Peace is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of God. Say that with me. Peace is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of God. You see, guys, if it's, if I can't have peace till there's no trouble, I'll hardly ever have peace. Guys, listen to me. In every one of us today, there is a God shaped hole, and only God can fill that hole. And only then will you have peace. I like this quotation. We don't have peace with others because we don't have peace with ourselves. And we don't have peace with ourselves because we don't have peace with God. So today, we're talking about the Prince of Peace. And our theme today is that Jesus, the Prince of Peace, has re-gifted peace for you. I love dealing with this theme all month about regifting. There was a report on the news just the other night of people's um, belief and who loved it and who hated it. But one, one of our, our sisters—I won't even name her and embarrass her today—was telling me a story last week that she had gotten this gift she couldn't use. She thought somebody else could use, so she just wrapped it back up and she gave it out at a party. The only problem was she had left the gift card in. The present. And so the person opened it, looked at the card, and knew who it had come from. Talking about embarrassing. You don't want, next time you re-gift, get the card out, okay? Now here's the good news. Jesus was not embarrassed. He left the gift card in the manger. Peace on earth to all men. And it was sent from his heavenly father to be re-gifted by him. And so this morning, we're going to make three simple points. The Prince of Peace came, the Prince of Peace gave, and the Prince of Peace, he stayed. That's some good news. So, the Prince of Peace came. Let's read the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Now, we've been studying Luke all year long. And so you should notice how detailed Luke is. Because one thing we've marked about Luke, if you're here at the beginning, is that Luke was a careful historian. You'll hear it in his words. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken in the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to be registered. So Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth and Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them there. Now, here's what I want you to notice. When Luke describes the birth of Jesus, he says it happened on a real day. You see, that's why Luke goes overboard with the historical evidence. It happened during the reign of Caesar Augustus. And I think, why in the world do you name this, this weird governor of Syria that we'll have a hard time pronouncing for the last 2,000 years, Cornelius? Why does he give that detail? It seems... Superficious. Superficious, boy, that's a bad word there. Superficial, yes. Say Merry Christmas, buddy. You made me feel better. Okay, now, why does he give that detail? Because here's what Luke wants you to know. He wants you to know that Jesus came on a real day. And then second, he wants you to know he came to a real town. He didn't come in an illusion. He didn't come in a dream. He didn't come just because somebody wished he came. He came on a real day in a real town called Bethlehem. It's as if we would say Jesus came in 2018 during the reign of Donald Trump and he was born in Millbrook. It would be the same kind of thing. Why? Because what, what, what Luke wants us to know is this is not a myth. This is real history. And he came with a real purpose, and that purpose was to bring peace. Now, understand this. This is what makes Christianity different than any other world religion, major world religion. It is based on history. What we believe, guys, is that it really happened at a certain time and a certain place. You see, there's, there's two different kinds of people in the world. There are what you call naturalists. They believe that everything just naturally happens, history is on a course, it's inevitable, it can't be changed, it cannot be interrupted. A a naturalist would be someone who doesn't believe in miracles, so they'd never believe in the story. Now, what I hope all of you are is a supernaturalist. A supernaturalist believes that there are times when things change, that there are moments when there's an intervention. Even an intervention from God, for instance, let's say you bit to the doctor this week, and, and you had a terrible diagnos- diagnosis of cancer, and, and the doctor meets with you and says, "You know, if this cancer runs its natural course, you'll leave, live six months." But then you go back to the next visit, and the doctor says, "You know, I've been researching there this, and there's a new experimental drug." that has the possibility of arresting this cancer. And that's something could intervene. Or even better than that, you're obedient to Scripture. You find out about this cancer, you do what James chapter 5 says, you call the elders of our church, you ask them to pray over you and anoint you with oil, and you claim the promise that you could be healed. You see... If you're a supernaturalist, we actually believe that God can do that if he chooses to do it. I want to tell you this morning, I am a supernaturalist. I believe God broke into history. I believe Mary was a virgin. I believe in the angels and the shepherds and everything that happened. That it's not just something somebody made up. It's something that actually happened that was recorded by a very careful historian. Now, this is interesting to me the Romans had two words about the way life unfolded, about the future. One, obviously, was the word futura. And that simply meant the future is just a natural outcome of the past. Things just repeat themselves. Things never change. The other word for the future was, catch this, adventus. What adventus meant was history can be interrupted By someone or something, which I hope you put the connection together, what we call the season we're celebrating this morning is the Advent. What's the word Advent mean? It's simple definition. Advent simply means that history has been interrupted by the arrival of a notable person. And boy, are we talking about a notable person. We're talking about that God himself interrupted Christmas Interrupted history with Christmas, with the advent. So, here's the deal. Are you a naturalist or a supernaturalist? Now, I almost would believe that 98% of us say we're supernaturalists. We probably wouldn't be here. If you're a if you're naturalist and you're doubting this, I would just say to you, man, we're thankful you're here, research it. Christianity says, check it out. Look at history, see what really happened. But you're not who bothers me this morning. I understand where you're coming from. What really bothers me are people like the rest of us who claim to be supernaturalists, who believe that God interrupts history, and who live like he doesn't. We just think life just can go on, and what it was like last year, it'll be this year, and 10 years from now, it'll basically just be a repeat— and that what Satan whispers in our ear is you can't change, the world can't change. It just goes on the way it always went. Listen to me, my friends. Jesus did not enter the world to leave it the way he found it. And Jesus did not enter the world to leave you the way he found you. He's the Prince of Peace. And he came at a certain point to change everything about everything. Next point. The Prince of Peace gave. When he comes, what's he handing out? He's got some amazing gifts. I think today we may celebrate what I mentioned earlier, the most elusive and the the coolest of all gifts, peace. Listen to what Jesus said, John chapter 14, verse 27, speaking of re-gifting. Peace, I leave you. My peace, I give you. I do not give as the world gives Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. What's Jesus said? My peace is so different than what the world promises. The world promises if you can get everything around you okay, then you can have peace. My peace is so much better. My peace is that you can have peace in the middle of the storm. The same kind of peace that Jesus had. My friends, everywhere Jesus went, a storm surrounded him. He didn't have an easy life, but here's what we do know. In the midst of that storm, he had absolute peace. Wouldn't you love to have that? Here's the promise of Christmas. No matter how stormy your life may be, you can have absolute peace through Jesus. Now, how is that possible? Al just read to us, Romans chapter five, I'll repeat verse one. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we get peace? What Jesus did for us on the cross left us in a place where we're justified. What does it mean to be justified? It means that we stand just, perfect before God. My favorite definition of justification. Just as if it never happened. When God sees you through the blood of Jesus, he sees perfection And he gave that to you if you accept it by faith. Now, how does that happen? Listen to this crazy good prophecy from Isaiah 53. Speaking of Jesus, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. You see, Jesus took the punishment for you so that you, could receive the gift of peace. As long as you try to manufacture peace on your own, you'll never receive it. But when you finally, by faith, receive it from God, you can have a peace the Bible says passeth all understanding. You say, okay, buddy, that's nice. And I believe that. And I'm actually a supernaturalist, and I believe that God did intervene in history. That's cool. But, buddy, everything you've talked about to this point is in the past. I mean, yes, Jesus came. That'd be cool. I wish I could have been there. And and he gave that gift to those folks back there. But but how about us today? That's our third point. This is our most important point this morning. Not only did Jesus came, not only did he give, he stayed. The Prince of Peace stayed. You say, buddy, we know the Bible says that Jesus has ascended and he is now at the right hand of the throne of God. He's not here. Well, In some sense, that's true. But you've got to understand that God is omnipresent. He's not inhibited like you and I to one place. And that's why the Bible says that Jesus stayed. How did he stay? He stayed through the Holy Spirit. There's a neat verse here. Verses, Romans 8, verses 9 through 11. Three verses mention three different names for the Holy Spirit. Have you ever caught this before? One is just the Holy Spirit. Nice. The other is the Spirit of God. The third is the Spirit of Christ. If you read the book of Romans, those three names for the Spirit are used interchangeably. Why? Because for the Spirit to dwell in you is for God to dwell in you. For the Spirit to dwell in you is for Christ to dwell in you. And so Jesus stayed. That's why we sing, joy to the world, the Lord is is come sounds bad we think it should say has come but that's not the point of Christmas the Lord is he has come he is come he's still here now let's get practical for a moment I I don't want this to be some nice fluffy Christmas message okay you say I came for a fluffy message buddy well sorry about this go to Philippians chapter 4 with me okay because if anybody to me shocks me with their peace, it's the Apostle Paul. I love the Apostle Paul. Because the Apostle Paul was a driven man. He, he never seemed satisfied with the way things are. He's always shaking the church up, shaking himself up. And, and you may not have noticed this, but, but, but I, I, I'm, I'm sort of a driven person. I'm never quite satisfied with the way I am, with my family is, or even the way you guys are. Sorry about that. And and I've always thought, is there a way to be driven and yet at the same time be content? Is there a way to want to change things and still not wreck your peace? Because often we say something like this, because we're struggling with those two things. We go, okay, um, I know that's really bad, uh, but I've come to peace with that. What that simply means is I've accepted it. That's just the way things are going to be. Things stink, and they're going to stink. But you see, the Apostle Paul didn't believe that. Listen to what he said. Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to read, first of all, verses 12 through 13, and listen to what he had been given by Jesus. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content, wow, in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in won't. Now listen to the most misapplied verse in the Bible. I can do all things to him who gives me strength. How have you learned that verse growing up? I love that verse. But the way I learned it was, if I just repeat that enough... I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Then I can jump over that mountain. I can swim across the sea. I mean, I can do anything through Christ. My my friends, that's not the context. That's not what he's saying. That's a misuse of the passage. The passage is saying whether things are good or things are bad. Whether I've got plenty to eat or not enough to eat. Whether my family's behaving or they're not behaving. Whether the church is thriving or the church is dying. I can have peace. Why in the world can you have peace? Because I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That's where the peace comes from. Now, if we go back a little bit earlier in Philippians 4, we're going to see in Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9, a way to find peace. Now, I I even hate to use this word, but I, I think this is Paul's formula for peace. Okay, Paul, you're a driven man and somehow you found peace. How do you do it? Well, listen to these verses, Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident at all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, here we go, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, This driven man who's got peace. Put into practice, oh, I love this promise. And the God of peace will be with you. So I want to get real practical here. This will help you even the next three days. How do you find peace? Number one, you recognize the presence of God. What what, what Paul says here is, is, is you can make it through anything through Christ because the Lord is near. How near is God? Listen to me, guys. He's right here. He's in you. It's the peace of God. You see, remember what we said earlier? Peace is not the absence of trouble. You don't have to wait on that. It's the presence of God. And when I say, you know, I've come to peace with it, peace is not coming to a point where you don't care. Peace is coming to a point where you do care but you know God cares even more, okay? If things aren't right and good in your life, you know that God is one day, either today or tomorrow or at the end of time, God will intervene just like he did in the incarnation and he will change everything about everything. So first of all, recognize the presence of God in your life. The Bible says to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That that simply means you've already got him. It just means... Allow him to work, cooperate with him. Number two is prayer, peace plus prayer. Now what Paul says here is pretty simple. He says, you got a worry list, turn that list into your prayer list. Here's the best way I can sum this up. Worry about nothing, pray about nothing everything. Worry about nothing, pray about everything. Say that with me. Worry nothing, pray about everything. So whatever you're worried about, the Bible says this, cast it on God because he cares for you. And then the final thing is is to be positive. And Paul's not just simply talking about positive thinking like you got to work yourself up into something. He's talking about you're positive because you know what people who don't know God know. You know God's with you. You know that God has got it. In fact, Paul says, in your life, there's a list of good things that you need to focus on. Here's the truth. In every one of our lives right now, there are two lists. If you sat down today, and I gave you time, you could write down all the bad things going on in your life. We all got them, right? But you could also write down all the good things that God has given you. Here's what Paul says. Recognize the presence of God, throw your anxiety on God, and focus on the good list. You see, you and I have a choice. We've got those two lists. The question is, which list will you focus on? Too many of my days are are served by looking on the bad list, and I lose my peace. So, we've got less than three days to Christmas. I want to challenge you these next three days to put this into practice. Because you're going to walk out of here in just a few minutes and you're going to walk into a crazy busy world and you've got to cook and you've got to buy and you've got to wrap and you've got to go and you probably got to be around some folks you don't want to be around, okay? Don't punch anybody right now, okay? Here's what you do. Let's say even you're enduring Christmas this year with somebody you love who's gone. That's tough. That's tough. But here's the good news. You're not alone. God is right there with you. When, when things get stressful, recognize the presence of God. And what you get stressful and worried and anxious about, pray about. As soon as it starts happening, God, am I going to have everything ready for everybody to get here? Am I going to have every gift wrapped the way I want to? Is the house going to look good? Are we ever going to make it through Birmingham traffic? I mean, you've got all kinds of stuff, all right? <laughs> Excuse me. I just mentioned my worry list, Okay. No, 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 here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray about it. And so, so, so here, presents, pray, and then positive. You know what I'm going to do this Christmas? Even I don't even get it all done. I'm going to stop and be thankful for every good gift that has come from God. You try that, it'll work. Because my friends, it all started on that first Christmas. And just like Travis Tritt was able to bring some peace to a bunch of drunks, Jesus says, I want to bring peace to you. And I want to bring peace to you through through glorifying God. Remember our passage at the very beginning, Luke 2.14? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now, if you've got a pen in your hands and you're taking notes, I want you to circle. A couple things. I want you to circle glory to God. And then I want you to circle our word of the day, peace. Because the key to you having peace is not circumstances. It's not an absence of trouble. It's the presence of God. And you practice the presence of God when you glorify God. So circle Glory to God what we must do this morning if we're going to walk away with here in some, with some peace is keep together keep together with the angels put together which is glory to God and peace there's an incredible connection between worship and being at peace because when I worship I'm recognizing the presence of God and I'm saying in this crazy world with so much trouble God is above and within And he's got it all. So, in just a few minutes, I want you to prepare yourself. We're going to enter into a great block of praise with our candlelights. It's going to be beautiful. But let me say this. You've got a choice. Here's what we're going to ask you to do. We want you to go to the tables. There's lots of tables spread out this morning. Take communion. Remember the price Jesus paid for you to have this gift. He made peace for us. Who paying the price for us. I want you to go to the table, take that. While you're at the table, there will be candles there at the table. Pick your candle up, cut it on, and then here's where I need you to really go with me. I want us just to circle this stage one line after another. And if you're physically unable, you got to break. The rest of you... You will lose your soul if you do not circle the stage, okay? So I just I just want you it's Christmas, so I have a good time. Okay. We're just gonna circle one after the other and come up here as family and just worship God. Just glorify God. Now I want to stop here, and I really want to be serious here for this moment. You can come up here in just a minute and go through the moments. And you can act like you're a naturalist. Like, okay, every Christmas we circle the stage and we do this. And it's just like last Christmas and be just like next Christmas. And you, 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 you can just, the next few moments, you could just go through the motions. On the other hand, you could lose yourself in worship to God. I promise you, if you'll spend the next 15 minutes worshiping and glorifying God, you will walk out of these doors with more peace than you walked in them with. Yeah, that's the way it works. See, a lot of us, we don't take advantage of that. It's sort of like, you know, the, the favorite gifts out there now are Christmas gift cards. Uh, Isn't that a great thing to give? Someone gave me one to Outback the other day. Love that. And, 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 and we love to give them because they're easy to buy. And they're really, you know, you give somebody a choice about how they're going to use them. Now, here's the only problem. Harvard Business Report said the other day that there are $41 billion worth of unused gift cards in America. That's why the merchants love it, because they don't think you're going to use it. Now, here's what I'm going to say to you today. Try me. (laughs) Okay? I will use the fool out of it, okay? Just try it. And guys, here's what scares me about Christmas. We've been given this gift guaranteed by God. yet so many of us, just like me, we struggle with peace because we don't use it. So I pray in the next 15 minutes, you're going to discover some peace at the table and some peace at worship and some peace with the family of God. I want you to pray with me, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to to put your hands on your lap in a, a receiving position, and let's pray together. God, we confess to you that we struggle so often to have peace we know we're about to walk out of these doors in a few minutes into a hectic time of life and it, it could steal our peace when we get on Taylor Road and try to get on the interstate. But God, we, we just ask you right now, God, that, that we would practice your presence. God, that we would recognize that even if we're in that traffic jam, you're with us. That we would recognize that when we get anxious, the answer is to pray about it. And that we would count All the gifts you've given us. And Lord, as we go to the table today to partake of the bread and the cup, our hands and our hearts are open to receive this incredible gift. God, forgive us when we don't use it. Help us the next few moments to find peace through a Christmas carol. With the guarantee that if we bring glory to you, you bring peace to us. Bless us as we gather this morning. God, help us to get over ourselves because that's where I lose my peace. I'm thinking too much about me. And help us to to at least for the next 15 minutes. Glorify you with all of our heart together. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.